the gates and doors were barred and all the windows fastened down. I spent the night in sleeplessness and rose at every sound, half in hopeless sorrow, half in fear the day would find the soldiers breaking through to drag us all away. Then just before the sunrise, I heard something at the wall. The gate began to rattle, and a voice began to call. I hurried to the window, I looked down into the street, expecting swords and torches and the sound of soldiers' feet. But there was no one there but Mary, so I went down to let her in. And John stood there beside me as she told us where she'd been. She said, they've moved him in the night and none of us knows where. Oh, the stone's been rolled away and now his body isn't there. So we both ran to the garden, then John ran on ahead. And we found the stone, an empty tomb, just the way that Mary said. But the winding sheet they'd wrapped him in was just an empty shell. And how or where they'd taken him was more than I could tell. Oh, something strange had happened there, just what I did not know. John believed a miracle, but I just turned to go. Circumstance and speculation couldn't lift me very high because I'd seen them crucify him. And then I saw him die. Back inside the house again, the guilt and anguish came. Everything I promised him just added to my shame. When at last it came to choices, I denied I knew his name. So even if he was alive, it could never be the same. Then suddenly the air was filled with a strange and sweet perfume. Light that came from everywhere drove shadows from the room. Then Jesus stood before me with his arms held open wide. And I fell down on my knees and I just clung to him and cried. Oh, but then he raised me to my feet. And as I looked into his eyes, love was shining out from him like sunlight from the skies. Guilt and my confusion disappeared in sweet release. Oh, and every fear I'd ever had just melted into peace.
real quick. This morning we'll be in our church Bibles, page 1004, I believe. I'm sorry. 1383. 1383. Page 1383, Hebrews 12. Real quick, um, Nina and Raul are not with us this morning because she's having some back pain. Uh, however, Deborah was able to pray with her over the phone this morning. And after praying, that back pain went away. So bless the Lord. Um, he still hears our prayers, and I pray that they feel his presence there today at home um, as she gets better. Let's uh, read our scripture. It's just two verses, but wow, it's, it's amazing, two verses. <clears throat> verses 1 and 2 out of chapter 12. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. <clears throat> Let's pray. Lord, we bless you. For the picture you give in this scripture, what the writer of Hebrews shows us that this life that we are to live uh, on this earth is to be a life that we would turn from our sin and give all that we have, surrender all to you, and run the race, Lord, to the very end, every day, with all we have, and Lord, with your, with your help, with your spirit along the way. <clears throat> we bless you for that promise. And the picture that you draw with these spirit, this uh, scripture. And God, I, I thank you that there is no doubt, Lord Jesus, you are right there at the right hand of, Jesus, of the Lord, of God. We thank you for that. No matter what goes on around us, no matter what the winds blow here and there around us in our lives, we can count on that to be true, everlasting true. And we just thank you for the time today that we can come. I do lift up Nina and Raul. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you would take her pain away this morning as she's on the phone. So many stories in Scripture we saw that even at long distance, your healing worked. Bless you, Lord. We thank you for what you continue to show us. Pray you continue to hear our prayers. And I pray, God, we would come with humble hearts, hungry. The picture that came out of that song of <clears throat> her grabbing his legs and kneeling at his feet, the Savior's feet. Oh, Lord, what a picture that is. That's what we long for. So I pray you keep us right there every day in the world that we live in. Help us to be your people and to lift your name up in the way we live this life. We pray you have your way in our hearts and <clears throat> our minds today as you teach us. We pray, God, that we would leave with a new excitement to walk this week out ahead of us. In your holy name, we pray all these things. Amen.
that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure how great the pain of searing loss the father turns his face as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory.
Good morning. Well, we've been studying in John over the last few weeks, and we're continuing there. So if you'll open to page 1240, we're going to be in John chapter 13 today. Page 1240, John chapter 13. Over the last few weeks, John has been bringing us into an understanding and a theme that he's going to continue, and we'll see the depths of that today. But over the the last couple of weeks, if you just look back over the messages, John chapter 12 talked a little bit as Jesus came and and, um, is is reacting to the question where the people who were Gentiles came and wanted to see Jesus and he he um, expanded their understanding that it was more than just seeing Jesus but that he was calling anyone who would come to serve him to follow him and we talked about this a little bit so I want to look at that scripture it's in John 12 just one page back Verse 26. <clears throat> so as you remember, the, the, the men came to um, Philip and said they wanted to see Jesus in verse 21. And then v- Jesus, I'm sorry, Philip and Andrew go to find Jesus. And, and uh, Jesus has an answer for, answer for them. And he says, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. In verse 23, Jesus says, it's time. You know, he's been saying throughout the last three years in his ministry, he would say, it's not, it's not yet my time. It's not the time is not now. Now he's coming and he's saying, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. And then he goes in and explains a little bit about what that glorification would look like. And he says that I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. And so he's coming and talks about this place of his death and that he will have to die and be buried and in order for this grain to produce, for his life to produce the fruit that it's supposed to be producing. And then in verse 25, he says, He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in the world will keep it for eternal life. Verse 26 says, If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, serves me, him my father will honor. This is going to lead into the message that we have today. This place of understanding, following, and serving, and how it goes hand in hand. This word, if anyone, that, that is a place of he's talking about all people, Jews and Gentiles. Up until this time, it was understood that he came only for the house of Israel. But Jesus is going to enlarge their understanding and help them to see that he truly came for all people. 
for each and every one. But he also says, he says that if anyone serves me, let him follow me. So he ties this word, and I've studied this word a little bit to understand it. it this word serve, it, it means like to be a waiter at the table, to come and to wait on somebody. But it's also an interesting term. It also means to kick up the dust. To kick up the dust. That that, that would be a place that would be so close to where the dust is of the rabbi that the, the kicking up of the dust would fall upon them. And then a, another understanding is caring for the needs of others as the Lord guides. And so this place of serving is a place of carrying and carrying the needs of others. But Jesus explains it a little differently in that he takes this serve and he goes, this word of being a waiter, of, of carrying the, the burdens for everybody else, he takes it and he says, but really, if you're going to serve me, that means to follow me into my death. And if you remember, we talked about that, following him into his death. And then he says, where I am, my servants will be also. He's saying, if I'm going to die, you're going to be able to come and die as well. You're, you're going to crucify yourself. It's a choice that you'll make just as Jesus laid down his life. We're called to lay down our lives. And he says, anyone who serves me in this manner, then my father, he will also honor. So this place of serving, of following Jesus. Then we moved on last week and talked a little bit further in the book of John 12. And Jesus helped us to see that following is also a place of, of keeping his commandments. So I want to read to you just to refresh us a little bit, starting in verse 44 of chapter 12. It says, Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me sees him who sent me. He's showing the oneness in chapter 12, verse 44 and 45. He's showing the oneness that he has with he and the Father are one. Then verse 46 says, I've come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And we talked about that light and darkness last week. And if anyone hears my words... And does not believe, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has, not, has that which judges him. The word that I've spoken will judge him in the last day. But uh, 49 says, For I have not spoken of my own authority, but the Father who gave me a command that I should say and what I should speak. So he's saying the commandments that he says come from the Father, and the Father has given those to him. And verse 50 says, I know that his commandment, I know that his command is everlasting life. So I know that his command, whatever the Lord gives, whatever he gives is coming from the Father, and he's saying his command is everlasting life. So he connects this place of following 
unto death and helps us to understand that that produces this place of everlasting life. So with that in mind, he's going to draw us into a place today to understand a little more of this place. So starting in chapter 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So there's a lot in this first verse where Jesus is uh, at the pass, uh, just before the Passover feast, and Jesus uh, knows that his hour, he's within 24 hours of his death. And so it's always powerful. I thought about this very place to think about if we only knew we had 24 hours left, what you would tell the people that you loved. And I thought about that so much over this week. I thought, yes, you know, we would want to get it all in. You know, and if you just had 24 hours left, all the things that you would want to gather up and, and say to the people that you love, that's really what's going on, is Jesus has got them here, gathered them up. It's almost Passover. And these are the things in the next few weeks we're going to study that he wanted to make sure they knew. And one of the first things is he knows this is happening, but he says, uh, John writes something very powerful here that I want you to grab hold of and hold on to this through this message. He's saying, have loved, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the very end. That's going to be a powerful place that John is uh, beginning this place to help us to understand today how much he loved them. We were just singing about this place and the sacrificial love that he has for his people and how he loved them to the end. Verse 2 says, And supper being ended, the devil having already put into the heart of Jesus of Scariot, Simon's son, to betray him. So they're, they're having the Passover supper, and Jesus, it's at the, towards the end of the supper. Some people talk about this a little bit, at, that it says uh, the supper being ended. Some people talk about there were actually two suppers going on here. There was the Passover supper, and then there was actually the part that was the meal. And so many people believe that this was in between the meal and the Passover supper. Now, some people believe the Passover supper was at the beginning, and some people believe that the Passover supper was at the end. I probably would tend to believe that the Passover meal was at the beginning and then the meal. But it is debatable, I'm sure. But it doesn't really matter. It's really kind of in the middle of what's going on, if you will. But the first part has ended, and Jesus gets up from there. And he's letting us know, John is letting us know, that Satan has already entered Judas. Oh, my goodness. I can't imagine how chilling that is as you're sitting there 
if you knew this, and if the rest of them, they didn't even understand, they didn't know that this was going on. But Judas, I believe he knew. I believe he knew that this had happened. This place, it says it put into his heart. The devil had already put it into his heart. This word heart is really his mind. It's really his, uh, uh, his inner self, his thoughts. And I just thought that was so powerful to think about that because that's how Satan comes and enters. It's in your thoughts. It's in your mind that he begins to implant the evil that he has in store. And that's what he did. And so Judas received what he implanted. Verse 3 says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet, Jesus answered. If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him, therefore he said, You are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So they're at the Passover, and Jesus gets up and It says in um, verse 4, it says he rose from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. So he gets up from supper and he goes over and takes off his outer garments. And he comes in a place that would be the attire of a servant. And he picks up a cloth. This uh, word right here for a towel is actually a linen cloth. And then he goes about and he pours water in the basins and he comes to begin to wash the disciples' feet. And of course he comes to Peter and, and 
Peter is thinking, you know, usually there is a servant that would do this as they entered the home. This would have been customary, is that as each one of them entered the, the home, someone of a lower servant would have come, the lowest servant in the house would have come to each one of them and washed their feet before they come to eat supper. But there wasn't any servant. And so no one has done this. And the disciples are just going to, they're just going along. They're okay with it. But Jesus gets up and he lays his garments down and he picks up this towel that is a linen cloth. And he comes to begin to wash the feet. I think it doesn't tell us there's a possibility that he may have already washed several people's feet. Because then he comes to Peter. And that's when Peter says, you're going to wash my feet? He, he says, you know, this doesn't make sense to Peter. He's not sure who should be doing it, but it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be Jesus. And he goes on and he says, you know, yes, not only your feet, but, you know, I need to... Um, uh, and Peter says, well, uh, you know, wa wash my feet. And Jesus says, if you do not, if I do not wash your feet, you have no part in me. And so Jesus is coming to Simon Peter after possibly he's washed two or three other feet. And now he's here and he's washing Peter's feet. And, and Peter's like, no, this can't be right. And he says, well, you're, you're not going to have a part of me. And so Peter's like, well, then I want all in. I want you to wash my head and my hands. And so I don't think Peter was trying to be obstinate in the beginning. I think he was trying to understand how this could be because this is not how it should be. Jesus shouldn't be doing this lowly task. And we've taught about this place. We've heard this taught many times of how this is teaching us to be a servant. And I think that there is a place for that to understand that I think that is what Jesus is saying. But I believe he's going on and helping us to understand this servanthood far beyond what we think of being a good servant. You see, when I think about being a Christian servant, I think about, you know, taking food over to somebody that is sick. I think about maybe giving a ride to somebody that doesn't have a ride, and that would be a good servant. I think about uh, praying for somebody might be a good servant. But the deeds that we do, I don't think is what Jesus is talking about here. I think we've thought that's what he's talking about. But I don't think it's what he's saying. You know, he goes on to say, he, he says that, you're, um, let, me, let me see right here. I want to read this to you. In verse 12, he says, So when you have washed their, when he had washed their feet and taken his garment, he sat down and he said to them, Do you know what I have done? Do you know what I've done? And I know they're just like us. They're going, Well, yes, you washed my feet. 
But what Jesus is trying to help them see is there's something far more important going on right here than what they actually understand. And so as it is in our day, in our time, I think he's trying to help us to understand something far greater and far more important. You see, he had already helped them to understand that to be a servant meant to come and follow him into death. I think he's giving us some pictures even here of what this journey that he's on is going to look like. I see that he comes and he, first thing he says here, John tells us that he laid aside his garments. I think John is helping us see that he laid aside his deity. He laid aside his glory. He laid aside who he really was. He laid it aside. And then he picks up this linen cloth. I looked up this linen cloth, and there is a, there's only one place that I thought was um, worthy of us turning to. There are several places, and it talks about linen. The priesthood would wear linen. You might remember that as they went in and out of the sacrificial places. But I want to take you to this place. It's in Ezekiel. It's on page 1011. Ezekiel 44, verse 17, page 1011. Let's start in verse 16. They shall enter my sanctuary... And they shall come near my table to minister to me, and they shall keep my charge. So he's talking to the priest. In verse 17, And it shall be whenever they enter the gates of the inner court that they shall put on linen garments. No wool shall come upon them while they minister within the gates of the inner court or within the house. They shall have linen turban on their heads and linen trousers on their body, and they shall not uh, clothe themselves with anything that causes sweat. And when they go out of the inner court to the outer court to the people, they shall take off their garments in which they had ministered, leave them in the holy chambers, and put on other garments in their holy garments. They shall not sanctify the people. So they come in, and they can't wear anything that has any wool, and they put on this linen, and I began to read about linen, and linen is a very cool fabric. And they... They didn't wear anything else because God says they don't want anything that causes them to sweat. And I thought, isn't that funny? Isn't that interesting? So I began to ask the Lord about that, and he said, yes. He said, how do you feel about sweat? 
And I thought, man, <laughs> my husband would laugh about this because I, I've said many times, I don't, I don't like to exercise too much because I don't like to sweat. <laughs> I don't like to work outside too long. I don't like to sweat. Sweat makes me feel yucky, but it makes you smelly. It makes you kind of stinky. It makes your clothes look bad, right? And so I thought about this, and I thought about this as Jesus comes, and he picks up this linen towel, and he's wiping the feet of the disciples with this linen towel. And I begin to see that as he goes to each foot and he cleanses each person and their feet, what's happening to the towel is getting dirtier and dirtier. It's taking on the dust and the dirt. And he's going to each one, even Judas. Because he's wipe, washing each one's feet and wiping them with the towel. I think this is a picture that he took off his garments and laid them aside. As the king that would come one day and rule, he took on the clothing of a servant. And he takes on this cloth that I think is a picture of the sin, of the dirtiness, of the filthiness that each person is carrying. And he's wiping it with the linen cloth. You remember he was wrapped in linen. I think in a few weeks we'll talk about that a little bit there too. But he wipes each one. And, and then he comes down here and, um, and he says, you know, I don't need to do all of you. I just need to do your feet because you've already been bathed. He says, you know, you've already had a bath. And so it only needs to wipe your feet for you to be cleansed. In other words, what he's saying is, you've come to this place where you have been cleansed by him. And what would that take? Some people might think this is baptism he's talking about. This is not baptism that he's talking about. He's not talking about you were baptized. He's talking about you believed that you came into this place of where you were cleansed because you believed in what God was doing. Your faith is what brought you cleansing. Baptism is a picture of that. But he's not talking about baptism here. He's talking about you've been washed by the word and your faith has made you clean. But he's saying, but your feet, they need to be washed. And, and it's a picture that really every time you go out into the world and you're walking in these dusty places with your sandals and your bare feet and, and these roads are kicking up the dust, kicking up the dust, your feet become soiled from the world. I believe it's a picture that Jesus is helping us understand that you may be a, a believer in Jesus. And you may be here today saying, I've, I've believed he lives inside of me. And I believe that is uh, oftentimes the, the case. But 
each one of us goes out into the world and the dust of the world and the dirt of the world is on your feet. So I believe Jesus is saying, you've got to come daily. You've got to come to me every time you walk into the world. Maybe it's several times a day that you've been out in the world and you come in and you've got to get your feet washed. You don't need to have a full bath. You don't need to start over and say, Lord, I'm coming in faith, believing in who you are, and and therefore cleanse me. Rather, you can come and say, I have the faith to know who you are, to know you are the Son of God, and that through your blood comes cleansing. But my feet are dusty, and my feet are dirty from the world. I was thinking about that, and I thought, oh, yes, from the world. We turn on the TV shows, and there are lewd pictures, aren't there? There's things that just really are not for my eyes. There's darkness, and there's violence, and there's sexual things. And so you turn away from those things, but the images are there. The images are there. You go through the mall, and there's pictures on the, on the stores of people that are not dressed, women that are not dressed appropriately, and it causes you to stumble and to fall if you are not careful. But even if you're careful and you don't want to align with those, the dust of that has gotten a hold of your mind your thoughts where the enemy has a place to work. I think about you're out in the world and and, and maybe you're right where you're supposed to be and and that is loving on lots of people around you, but, but their language is not the language that Jesus would have for you. But you're trying to love on them and to bring them to understand who Jesus is, but that falls on you. And your ears are tainted. I thought about even these places where you're out in the world and there's so many spirits, lying spirits, controlling spirits, Jezebel spirits. Oh, man, you get back home and you just think, oh, I've got this, it's all over me. And if you could begin to see it, as I think Jesus wants us to see it, is that it is all over you. It's on your feet because you were walking through the world. But I think the great place he wants us to see today is that he wants to come and wash your feet every time you've been out in the world. If we could just be aware of this place. If we could just be aware of the darkness and how it comes and attaches us. You know, when we read in verse 2 up here, it said the devil had already put it into the heart, which really is the mind of Judas. You see, that's what's happening. You're out in the world and the devil is putting into your mind the darkness that he wants you to have. And so when you get home, you've got to find a time to be 
washed. Or even when you get in your car to drive home, or even when you walk away from the darkness, you can stop right there and say, Lord, wash my feet. Wash me. Cleanse my mind. Cleanse my mind. I want to read this again, starting in verse 12. It says, So when he had washed their feet, taken his garment, and set them down again, he said to them, Do you know what I've done to you? So you see, I believe this is a picture of the fulfillment of the cross. That I believe he laid his his deity down as he goes to the cross. I believe the picture of the cloth is the sins that he will take on of the world. And then it says, so when he had washed their feet take, and then taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, so he takes his garments again and he puts his garment back on. The garments that he had laid down to be crucified. Then he takes on the towel and he girds himself with the sin, the dirtiness of the disciples. I think it's a picture of him on the cross as he takes on the sins of each and every one of us. But then he takes his garments again. When he... is buried and rose again, he takes on his garments. He takes on his kingly robe and he puts on who he is. I think it's a picture. And then he sat down with them and he says, you know, he, do you know what, what I've done to you? It's more than just washing your feet. It's more than taking dinner to somebody it's more than loving on somebody who's sick. It's more than giving somebody a ride. It's more than what we're doing in the fleshly ways, even though those can be good and wonderful acts of kindness that can present Jesus' love. I don't think that's what he's talking about here. It goes on to say in verse 14, If I then, your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Hmm. What would he be talking about here? For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you who do them. So I thought about this a little bit and, and have talked about this with the Lord all week. And he sent me to some scriptures I want to share with you to help us to understand this. So turn with me just a page over to John a couple of pages over, John 17, 5. 
Um, no, I'm sorry. That's not where I want to go. I want to go to... I want to go to James 5. It's on page 1389. James 5. And I want to start in verse 19. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. You see, I think Jesus is helping us to understand here that if you are a follower, a servant of Jesus, you're called to more than just taking dinner to someone in need. But I think he's calling us, as James is saying here, to, to be on alert, to watch for those around us to help guard the truth, to protect others from being destroyed by what the devil implants in their minds. Does that make sense to you? To take this opportunity when we see that a fellow believer is being drugged off by the enemy, that we would do, as James says here, that if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, I believe that's the call that Jesus is placing on each one of us, that being a servant of Jesus is not just doing acts of kindness, but it's to bring the very place that Jesus is of cleansing front and center to this believer, that Jesus might cleanse their feet so that the enemy, whatever he's implanted in their mind, will not have an authority to destroy them. Because it goes on in James and it says, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save a soul from death. will save someone from death. Oh my goodness, what an what a important place that this is. This washing of the feet is, is so important for you and I. But I see that he's calling the disciples to say, not only have I done this for you, not only have I cleansed you from the things of the world, but you've got to do this also. If you understand this, it says you will be blessed. 
<clears throat> turn with me to uh, Colossians 3.16. It's on page 13.55. Colossians 3.16. Page 1355. Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. Admonishing. That means warning. That means counseling. So let the word of Christ dwell in you in such a way that you have wisdom. Do you see that? And that you're able to bring that wisdom to others, teaching them. And then it says admonishing them, counseling them, warning them. That word right there, really a better word is warning them. Because I looked it up. Warning one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. I see this place of coming to someone and, and saying this is not where you want to be and teaching them and and drawing them and warning them of what Jesus has and then bringing them into this place of singing and rejoicing in the Lord. Galatians 6, let's look at page Verse 1 says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, any sin, Galatians 6, 1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any sin, that's what it's saying, any trespass against God, you who are spiritual... Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest, also, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, so fulfill the law of Christ. I want you to hold on to that. You see, Paul is writing and he says, As any one of you has been overtaken by a sin by a trespass, that they've wandered into darkness, that you in a loving way should go and, and warn them. And it says, a spiritually restore them to help them to see the truth. 
But then it says, bear, in verse 2, bear one another's burdens. Absolutely. The burden of where someone is. And so fulfills the law of Christ. I want you to go back to John. Look back at John 13. On page 1241. In verse 17, he's saying that if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. If you understand this, blessed are you. If you go on and continue reading in chapter 13, you'll come to, I believe, the, the, the root of this message. Verse 34 says, A new commandment I give to you, that if you love one another just as I have loved you, that you also love one another. He says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What he began to show me is this place in Galatians where it says that if you do, I want to read that to you, Just you don't have to turn there. But I want to read this right here with you so you know exactly where I'm coming from. It says, bear with one another's burdens, so fulfill the law of Christ. This is the law of Christ. You see that we would not only love one another, but he says that you love one another as I loved you. Hold your marker here and let's go to Leviticus 19. It's on page 134. Verse 18. This is in the law. This is Old Testament law. This is God's law. And it says, verse 18 says, You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So what I'm telling you is that God called the children of Israel to love one another. As yourself. It's saying that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's God's commandment. And he says, I am the Lord. But Christ says in John, when you turn back to your marker, John 13 verse 34, he says, a new commandment I give you. So this is the only time 
that he takes a commandment and enlarges it to where he says, I'm giving you a whole new commandment. Now, he's already told us before that he enlarges all of the commandments to walk in the spirit of the law. But he takes this one to another level, and he says a new commandment. Now, that word new doesn't mean it's brand new, that we've never seen this before. What it means is a refreshed place. But even beyond that, it means not found like this before. I love that understanding. He's saying this has not been like this before. That word refresh means has not been like this before. He's saying what's different about it is this, that you love one another as I have loved you. He is saying this because he did not leave the dust on the disciples' feet. He knew it was there. But he did something about it. He didn't just leave them in their sin. You have to hear that. That's the true understanding of washing the feet. And Jesus says, if you understand this, you'll be so blessed. He goes on to say, by this, in verse 35, by this, by this place of loving others so deeply that you won't leave them where they are, that you will go to them, that you will encourage them, that you will warn them, that you will bring the truth to them, that they would not be where they are. And he says, by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you love, if you have love for one another. You see, this is what sets you apart from the world. I see it so clearly because I believe that there is a spirit of error that has taken over our churches. And they teach love and love and love and grace and grace and grace to the point that we have lost truth that says there has to be truth that brings you to repentance. That is the salvation of your soul. But love without bringing you to understanding a need for repentance is an error the enemy has placed in the minds and hearts of men.
this is a challenging message in some regards because it's totally different than we, we have thought. We thought serving Jesus and washing his feet or washing each other's feet was such a good thing to do. But as I thought about this this morning, particularly, that I saw this place where we come at Passover celebrations and have the opportunity to wash each other's feet, I began to see it's far more a responsibility committing to that person that you will watch over them prayerfully and be willing to speak to them if you see the Lord is encouraging you in a way that they're not walking in truth. It's a responsibility we have with each other. And Jesus says, if you see this, if you see this, it's going to change how you react to each other. You're going to love as he loved, and you're not going to leave your friend and your loved one and a believer or a non-believer in sin. You're going to wash their feet. Stand with me as we praise the Lord. Thank you.
Strong and bless your name.